Well, good morning, Calvary Church, North Fort Worth. My name is Angel. Uh, me and my wife uh, pastor over the student ministry here at Calvary North Fort Worth, and we've been here for a year. In the first 9 a.m. service earlier, I said a little less than a year, and my wife quickly corrected me, and she said it's been a year exactly, and uh, we could not have asked for a better home and a church, and we're excited that we're here and we're blessed that we're here and we found a home in Fort Worth. But to my left and to your right, you see a very good-looking, charming young man to my left right here. This is Gonzo, and him and his wife oversee our um, church life uh, group here at Calvary Church, North Fort Worth. So we're excited to be here with you this morning. I just wanted to let you know who I was and who he was. That way you're not looking at us like, I think I stumbled upon the wrong church this week. I swear it was the same place, but it wasn't. But yes, this is Calvary Church, North Fort Worth, and we're glad that you're here today. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that we started a brand new uh, series entitled Flesh, uh, Jesus In and Through Us. And really, this series we're talking about for the next couple weeks, we're diving into a single question and really unfolding it. And that question is this, what does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the modern world. We're unpacking this question and we're talking about it um, for the next couple weeks. And just a quick recap, if you missed week one, uh, we noted that the early Christians didn't have the luxuries that we have today. There was no electronic means of communication. There was no social media. There was no Facebook for all you TikTokers. Um, there was no TikTok back then. Um, there was no finely tuned market strategies. There was none of that. But what they did have is oftentimes the one thing that we forget now, and they had the presence and power of God Almighty living in them yeah. and among them and desiring to live through them. That's what they had. It was no, nothing so pretty and glamorous and all this extra, but they had this thing and it worked then. Come on, y'all are now hearing about the gospel so, so much longer after this had already taken place well over 2,000 years later. And why? Because they lived by this strategy. That was their growth, their church growth strategy. There was no campaigns. There was no 12-step programs. There was no, this is what the younger single Christians are calling flirt to convert. There was none of that. It was just this one single thing, and it was incarnation. Jesus borrowing their skin to accomplish things by grace through faith. Jesus living in and through them. This is what they used. This was the mantra of it. This is what they stood for. And remember, Jesus had a promise that he would build his church. And then he invited them to participate with him as branches rooted firmly in a vine, bearing much fruit for the world to see. And on that day of Pentecost, the spirit of Christ filled the believers and the church was born. We talked about this week one. And we said that the essence of what it means to be incarnational is in the way that we live. And it's this, don't miss this, trusting Jesus to use our unique blend of personality. That's what it's about. We all have unique personalities. And what it is, is trusting Jesus to use that unique blend of personality and passion and giftedness in order to manifest his presence in our world. That's what it was. So if you missed that week one message, you miss, you miss some heat in that week one because it, it, it got down with it. But this last week, week two, Jaron did a, a phenomenous, phenomenous, 
what am I saying? It works. <laughs> yeah, we'll just go with it. He did a, a fantastic, how about that? A go. fantastic job last week, and he focused on the reputation of the church and the fact that our street cred, if you will, as Christians has really taken a beating in the Western world. You know, we said that we need to get back to the way of Jesus and the way that he approached things and the way that he lived his life. You know, we talked about reputation. Um, We saw that Jesus lived his life with a positive reputation among common folks, around everyday people. He lived with a positive reputation. And I think, you know, what Jaron was talking about last week, it really emphasized the fact that through numerous, you know, statistics and through numerous polls you found, you can look it up. And he, he, he did this illustration of, you know, he just looked on Google and it, he filled in the blank. And the only words that he put is Christians are known for. And it filled in the blank. And it was all kinds of, you know, really terrifying things to look at. It was filled with, you know, hatred and judgment. And apparently Christians just hate yoga. That was one of the things that he put up there. It was kind of funny, but that was one of the things that he put on there. But Christians have been getting a bad rap. So we talked about this last week. You know, we saw that Jesus lived his life with a positive reputation. So what does that mean for us? Um, Jesus was a positive, he had a positive reputation between just people. He was normal. (laughs) He acted normal with common folks. And we can follow his pattern by simply doing this. And it's exactly that, just being normal, being people. Um, The second thing was this one redeeming our vocations as the mission field. You know, we talked about this last week, um, not, you know, looking at your job as something that you just hate. And we all have those jobs that we go through and we walk in with our cup of coffee and we put on a, a good smile and then your manager says something and then it's, it's off to the races. You know, whatever happens, happens. That's, that's the thing that we, we have, you know, we were told last week, but redeeming those places as a purpose there's a purpose in it. As, as, as long as you're there in that job, using it as a purpose. We talked about that last week. So redeeming our, our jobs as the mission field. There's this third one right here, picking the right fights. Um, not just any fights and not just every fight, but picking the right fight. You know, we talked about this last week. You know, I'm not going to Facebook and starting an argument every single week because somebody has different viewpoints with us. You know, picking the right fights. And this is something that we saw from Jesus The last thing was this one. He talked about uh, being a true friend of sinners, Uh, being a true friend to everybody. We all sin. You know, it's not something that's new. It's not something that is even something, you know, that's like we don't talk about. Everybody messes up. Everybody has faults. Everybody has flaws. And viewing people as people, as friends, as fellowship, you know, that we can embrace, not just somebody that we look at and say we can't be friends with them because of. You know, we talked about this last week. So week two was very practical for us. We had a lot of things that we could implement in our life and just look at at the way Jesus did it. You know, we talked about, you know, Jesus, I mean, Jaron talked about last week, you know, Jesus didn't even start his ministry, you know, until he was 30. So think about that. Until that, until he was of that age, he was just a normal person living his life as a common folk being friends to everybody, you know, walking with people, guiding them. But he was a friend. He was a commoner in a, in a just a human. So that was week one and week two. And we're getting into week three. And y'all are in for a treat today. It's going to be 
something so special and cool that we're going to be talking about. But Gonzo, talk about it. What are we going to be talking about in week three? Uh, well, I just love what you said, um, because coming from, you know, religion, like I did, um, and just, you know, just the lifestyle of being outside of church, that the gospel, it changed my life. Yeah. And everything you just named, I was a victim of. Judgment, uh, feeling inferior, um, and also feeling like, you know, I have to do something, yeah. you know, like you said, you know, I have to go do something. I have to go, I have to go save the world, you know, and, and, it, and you really don't have to. You, we're not human doings. We're human beings, yeah. right? So just rest and be who God created you to be. He created exactly. you righteous, holy, blessed, loved, and it's something that's also changed, you know, like my marriage because it's impossible uh, for me to love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. But receiving the love that Christ has for me, yeah. his love for me flows through me and as me, and it filters down into my wife and my children and actually everybody I interact with. So, right. so that's, how, that's what the gospel does. It just teaches you uh, your identity and how to receive that identity and that love that Christ has for you instead of hearing uh, anything that can lead you, like religion or, yeah. or people who are judgmental, that can lead you uh, down the wrong road. So, so today, um, I'm excited to share uh, about this next area of focus, uh, because it's really where we start to gain impact in the world the way Jesus did. You'll see on your notes on your Calvary app how, um, how once we begin learning to live incarnationally and develop a trustworthy reputation with common people, God will give us these opportunities to start speaking about him through some great natural conversations, which will also lead to eventual confrontation. And that's what we'll be focused today. So if you're like me, I hate confrontations. I will avoid it. I'll take the blame. I'll walk away as long as everybody's happy and there's peace. That's the way I don't like confrontation. There's some people in here who are like, no, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Um, if you're like me, if you don't like confrontation, it's okay. That's not the confrontation I'm talking about. I'm simply talking about the pursuit of gently guiding people to the crossroads of their need to make a decision about Jesus. Throughout the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, they were all about bringing people to a place in their lives where they honestly admit their need for a Savior from their sin. The Bible speaks often about the need for a new life for spiritual rebirth, for being what Jesus called born again. So here's the deal. Even though we know this moment needs to come, we in the church have tended to move toward this confrontation pretty recklessly with people. We're often known for quickly condemning sin publicly, even calling out certain sins as worse than others. And in many of our Christian traditions, we're encouraged to speak to people with whom we have no relationship. No street cred. And what we find is that not only does this rarely work in helping people discover Jesus, but it more often ends up contributing to our lousy reputation because we're viewed as pushy people who just want to cram our beliefs down everybody's throat. And you know what I've realized in this walk? That people really don't need to be talked to. They just need to somebody to listen to them. Listening is sometimes the hardest thing to do. It really is. It's the hardest thing to do. We feel like we have to interact or cut them off or 
um, give them advice or, you know what, they just need somebody to listen to them. And listening is one of the best ministries you can do for somebody. It's just listening. So there is such a thing as good confrontation, but there is also such a thing as not so good confrontation. And what we finally get to see today is that Jesus has not given us a ministry of condemnation for people, but rather of reconciliation. He wants us to learn to walk with people as he did, and in his timing, that positive kind of confrontation will happen as we converse with those we've earned the right to be heard with through our love. In fact, here's a question for you to think about. Do you actually live with the conviction that God loves people infinitely more than you ever will? You know, one of the hardest things that I've realized that I've learning, and I'm still learning, is seeing people the way Christ sees them. Yeah. It's so easy to nitpick and, oh, man, they're doing that wrong. Ah, they're doing that wrong. Yeah, this guy's not wearing a shoe up there. <laughs> right. A little iffy. <laughs> right. So, but, you know, when you learn to look at people and receive people yeah. and embrace people through the way Christ sees them, it changes not only their life but your life as well. Because you don't have to carry around that burden or trying to work up love. No, no, no. His love just flows through you. Yeah. It just flows through you. It's strong. So that's a comforting thought to consider. So God wants us to see, save people far more than we want them to see them saved. And that reality takes the pressure off of, off of us and allows us to function more like gardeners instead of salespeople. Before we brief, briefly look at John chapter 8, let me remind you of something the Apostle Paul, who was perhaps the greatest evangelist to ever live, wrote about helping people discover Christ and enter the God's family. Paul never used the analogy of closing a deal. When speaking of bringing people to Christ, he never used sales and marketing terms as an, as an analogy of our mission in life. Instead, he used the terms of horticulture. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is the one who makes it grow. So now in John chapter 8, we're going to come upon a famous story. We briefly mentioned it last week. Um, it's where the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. It's in John chapter 8, verses 2, two through 11. All right, here we go. It reads, at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write down on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
go now and leave your life of sin. So let me try to set the stage here for this story so we can apply its amazing power to our lives today. The Feast of the Tabernacles has just ended in Jerusalem, and Jesus wakes up early the following day and goes into the temple courts where he begins to teach some worshipers who were lingering after the festival. And as we just read, in the midst of all this, the Pharisees and the law teachers drag this woman in front of the crowd, and they try to use her as a prop in order to trap Jesus. And I absolutely love what happens next. Instead of answering their insincere, audacious question without a word, Jesus bends down and starts writing in the dirt with his finger. Instead of dignifying them with a response, he decides to answer with his divine authority, even as Yahweh had written the stone tablets at the, of the law with his own finger, according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Do you see why we are always emphasizing the difference between man-made religion and Jesus, who's full of grace and truth? Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to reveal our identity in him. He came to give us the revelation that we are his sons and we are his daughters and that we've never been distant to him, that our actions can never provide or put distance in between him and, him and us. So um, we're sons and daughters, and what he wanted to really emphasize and get across is that there's freedom and sonship, that we are free. We're free from the law. We're free from judgment. We're free. Yeah. And I love that. You know, what, what Gonzo just said, if you can get a revelation of this, it'll free your mind in your life. And it's this, that Jesus didn't come to implement another religion or another set of rules or another set of things that you have to live up to or live by. Right. It's simply a relationship that you live with. Whenever you get that, that picture and that revelation that it's, it's not something you earn over time, but it's something that is in you and you're walking with, and it's every single day, regardless of what season you're in, it changes the way that you approach things because now you're not looking at the, the season or the obstacle and saying, well, I have to wait for God to move. I have to wait for, um, you know, until my 21-day fast is complete. I have to wait until I complete growth track at Calvary. You know, regardless of what it is, you're like, no, like God already moved. He sent Jesus he already moved, and it's like Jesus is looking at us like, no, like, I'm in you, walking with you. Right. We are facing this obstacle. We are facing this season. We are facing this thing that, you know, you're looking at, and I am the breakthrough. And guess what? You already have it. I'm in you. I am the breakthrough in you, waiting for you to just receive it. Yeah. And it's so, it's so funny. It's like when you get that revelation no obstacle you look at is like, this is going to take me out. Yeah. No, this is it. This is, one, this is the one that's going to get me. This is the day that my manager is going to, you know, <laughs> get these hands. Like, whatever it is, like, you can look at it and just be like, no, I have peace. <laughs> that's right. No, like, I can walk through this with, with, with whatever I need now. That's so powerful, Gonzo. And you know what's crazy is it sounds easy, yeah. but receiving can be hard. Yeah. Especially when you've been deceived and you're, you have yeah. this way of thinking that you're not good enough to receive. Yeah. And my favorite part of the story is at the end where um, everybody's left and it's just the woman yeah. and Jesus. And I, and I love it because now looking through the gospel and reading the Bible, I look at it through the lens of grace. Yeah. And I love plugging myself 
into these characters yeah. of the Bible. I think and we all have. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's so freeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, it's, it's so freeing because I see myself in this woman who had, was caught. I mean, she was caught red-handed. There's no denying it. You know, yeah. you really messed up. And she was ready to be judged. Her mind was made up. I'm done. It's over. Yeah. There's no hope for me. But Jesus removed all those obstacles, and it was just those two. And he told her, you're not judged. You're accepted. You are accepted that no matter what you do, no matter how many mistakes you make, you can never be separated from me. And when he said, go and sin no more, it didn't mean go and behave. No, no, no. He meant go and live your life through freedom. Live your life through the grace that I've come to give you. Live your life through your new identity that you will always be accepted, that you will always be loved, and you will never be apart from me. Different mindset. A different mindset. A different mindset. Yeah. Okay. So, and before we get into a few practical takeaways from this passage, I want to first speak to our own hearts, because the truth is that absolutely none of us in this place are sitting here able to boast of being without sin of some kind in our lives. You and I have no idea what another person has been through. And while that doesn't minimize the fact that simple behaviors like bullying, adultery, or lying, or cheating need to be dealt with, at the same time, we don't deal with it from the perspective of self-righteousness or judgmentalism. Because in any given situation, if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be? So what are a few takeaways from this great story? How does Jesus model what it looks like to earn the right to be heard of people's lives so we can have a meaningful God conversation with them? To be certain, this woman had clearly sinned, and her sin was ultimately against Jesus, her creator, standing right beside her in her flesh. And what we learn from Jesus is stunning when you think about it, because it's exactly what our culture needs to see from us today. What do we learn from Jesus about earning the right to be heard as a voice of people's lives? How do we regain trust and credibility in a culture that is increasingly uh, distrusting of religion? And they have good reason to be. You know, they have good reason to be. So, Pastor Angel, we're going to go over three points today. So, uh, cover, cover number one. Yeah, and I think looking at that story, this is just a clear picture of just, like, how you can see Jesus handling a situation. And, you know, one of the things that you can take away from this is, um, the first thing that Jesus does, rather, is, is obvious. You see it, and it's he removes the condemnation. You know, the people who are around him are surrounding the woman. He said, if any of you haven't sinned, uh, throw the first stone. And they all dropped their stuff, and they left. And he removed them. The audacious accusers were sent packing by the holiest man that ever lived. And he was standing there in defense of this woman. And you see, by writing on the ground, by writing against them, whatever he wrote on the ground, um, Jesus was exposing the fact that sin is sin, period. Because so often, and we talked about it last week, the reputation of the church is there's levels to sin. And that's what the mindset of it. And it's like, oh, look, they did this. So let's all point it out. Let's all, you know, do whatever. But Jesus is saying, no, there's not a level to this. It's just what it is. And if you have done it, then you can't throw your stone. Like, that's not how it works. But he's saying sin is sin, period. And that's it. 
And I just want us to think about the contrast between the way Jesus related to this woman and the way many of the present-day Christians relate to modern culture. Because since the rise of fundamentalism in the 20th century, many Christians have taken like a warlike mentality against the world. Yeah. You know, it's us against them. Um, us against them. We got to get ready. We're going to war. Got to bu- buckle down. Grab your Bibles. We're throwing them out the window yeah. and hitting people. You know, like all these different stuff. But it's obvious and it's clear. We're told many times in many different ways in the New Testament that the weapons we fight with aren't the weapons of this world. Right. It's not. It's not Facebook. That's not your tool to fight. Right. It's not sub, it's subtweeting, right? Where are the kids at? It's subtweeting, right? It's like, yeah, it's not ghost, whatever it is, writing. It's not calling people out, exposing them. Our weapons are weapons of love expressed through humility and through kindness and grace. You know, you you said something and it reminded me, and I think this will help somebody today. Um, Something that I believe, which was a lie, is I believed that God was mad at me. Yeah. I believe that I was serving this angry father that's always going to be mad at me if I mess up. Yeah. And that's a lie. And I don't know who needs to hear that today, but he's not mad at you. We don't, we don't serve, first of all, but we are in union and relationship with a loving father. Yes. He's not mad at you. He doesn't get mad at you. He just embraces you with his love and his grace, and that's what kind of father that we have a relationship with today. Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, we grew up kind of similar in that understanding of, like, God is this angry king. And the mentality that I had is, like, a manager or a boss that you have that just, like, is on your back. Uh, as soon as you type one key, he's like, ah, no, that's wrong. Nope, delete. You know, go back, restart. And as soon as you finish something else, boom, another pile on your desk. And it's, like, this angry manager or boss and it's like no like it's a loving father and when you have a picture of a boss or a manager you can never receive as a son and daughter because you don't look at him as a father you look at him as a manager but when you look at him as a father you can receive as a son and daughter receive from their father gifts no strings attached nothing you know on the other side of it Nothing, no ulterior motives, nothing like that, but it's just a gift given. But I love what, you know, what you just said there. Um, going back to this, you know, this, this John 8 message in this picture, um, really talking about, you know, using our, our weapons of love rather than, you know, destruction. Um, thinking about this passage, it really makes me wonder, and it's just a thought, but how many of us in the 21st century Western church would have been tempted, tempted to side alongside with the Pharisees rather than siding with Jesus in this situation. It really makes me wonder because that's the way we're perceived by far too many people who are looking in on us. We, we really are viewed that way at times. And, you know, I think far too many times we act and sound more like Pharisees than we do act and sound like Jesus. And I'm not saying this, you know, to come at anybody today, but it's a great concern. Whenever most of the world who aren't Christians look at us and see just hate and they see judgment coming from us, it's really like we take a step back and it's like, no, what, what do we stand for? What is the foundation that 
you know, we live by? What is our relationship with Jesus? What are we receiving and walking by? It changes things. And I think taking a step back, and I think we're all at, you know, at some sort's fault to this, and nobody's, it's not just one person or just one church. I think we all fall short sometimes of these types of things and how we approach things, but it starts by just viewing the way that Jesus handled things and how he walked this out. And again, you know, Jesus knew the best way to help this woman in this particular situation was not to win an argument. Come on, fellas, those of you married people, it's not to win the argument, but to win her heart. That was his motive in here. It wasn't to win an argument with the people, but it was to show her that your heart can be trusted in me and it can be trusted as we walk this out. You know, and it's exactly what he did. And after Jesus removes that condemnation, you know, from her life and from that situation, what is he able to do? He's able to move into a meaningful conversation with this woman. After that judgment, after that condemnation is taken away, he gets to just have a conversation with her. He gets to talk to her, remind her, reassure her of these things, but that leads into the second point. So, Gonzo, you can take this one. Uh, what is the second thing that we see in this scene? Uh, number two is uh, engage in conversation. As soon as the dust settled and the Pharisees took off, Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers now? Yeah. And by removing condemnation from the relationship, Jesus earns a conversation with this woman, who, by the way, should never have been speaking to a male rabbi in public. But Jesus didn't really care much about those man-made rules and regulations, so he engages with her. And, you know, I love this conversation that he has with her because he never once brought up what she did. She never did. I mean, he never did. He never sat there. He didn't counsel her. He didn't tell her, look, you should have done this. Well, why? Exactly. Why did you do it? Why would you do that? What were you thinking? Can't believe you did that. He never, he yeah. never, all he said was, you're not condemned. Yeah. That's grace. That's, That's grace. So this is the beauty of Jesus. It's back to John 1:14, full of grace and full of truth. It's the awesome. Isn't that awesome? And we also can be full of grace, full of love, full of acceptance in the full truth of our lives with eventually be embraced by those who need to change because we're not running around trying to force it or act like we're the morality police. This is one of the many stories in the Gospels of how Jesus was a true friend of sinners. A friend is someone who loves you and welcomes you unconditionally with all your hurts and habits and hang-ups. And without friendships, sin can never really be confronted in any meaningful way because people aren't going to listen to someone they don't trust. And number three, Pastor Angel? Yeah, so in this story, you see those those first two things, and it's, you know, um, Jesus comes on the scene. He removes the accusers. He has a meaningful conversation with this woman, and then you see him conclude it with introducing the confrontation, and Gonzo just talked about it. Uh, Confrontation not in the way that we thought it was, but in a gentle, you know, reminder, reassurance um, to this woman, and in this particular case, Jesus encourages the woman with the fact that there's a better life available. Not reminding her of what she did, not reminding her and bringing up and holding it over her head, but it's just saying, it's almost like, you know, for the people who have kids in here, when you, you, you know, you parent them, you're not so much wanting to like bully them down and remind them constantly of what they did, but it's saying, 
This isn't who you are. This isn't who, you know, you were raised to be. This, is, this isn't what you were supposed to do. It's not any of those things, but it's a gentle reminder and reassurance as who they are, as to who they are. And again, for the parents in here, it's not like when your kid messes up, you're like, oh, out the door, you're gone. You know, imagine telling a five-year-old, looking them in the face like, well, you spilled your markers again, and it got on the carpet. It's a little pain in my heart, actually, because my five-year-old does that. Anyways, I'm sorry. I had flashbacks. But um, again, you know, with these things, you're not going to look, you know, a toddler or, you know, a young uh, middle schooler in the face and be like, oh, you know, you didn't eat your crust on your sandwich. It's out the door for you, you know. Fend for yourself. No. And sometimes I feel like we get this picture of this angry, angry father in our head, and he's just, like, there to bully us and put us down and remind us constantly of the bad things that we're doing. No. You know, he's a good father, and he's a heavenly father. So how much more good would he be to us than an earthly father who handles their kids? So, again, he reminds her of this better life available. His words about, you know, about leaving her life of sin were far more than just a moral command of her just living right. There was an invitation into an entirely new scope of possibilities for her life and for her future. We can't judge her motives because we simply don't know them. We don't. Um, The story doesn't tell us, and I think, you know, there's a reason why is because it didn't matter. It didn't matter the motives. It didn't matter the the details. It didn't matter what other things were going on in that particular situation. But what it does tell us is quite amazing. It shows us how Jesus handled it. It tells us some critical things about how Jesus ministered to those who felt condemned and judged by religious people. And I believe the essence of our mission as Christians, as people who have received the life of Christ, isn't to point out people's flaws. But get this. Our essence is in our lives is to point to the answer, which is Jesus. Our essence in our mission is just to simply point to the person who has the answers. And I don't know who this is for, but it's okay that you don't have every answer for somebody who's asking. It's okay for you to not answer every single time, you know, somebody asks you, what do I do? It's okay for you to not answer every single time you see somebody's Facebook posts or Instagram posts or something along those lines that doesn't agree with what you believe. This is the best advice that you can give. I don't know the answers, but I know the answer, and it's Jesus. If you need an answer, he'll walk you through it. It's the Holy Spirit that guides them and you through this. And our essence, the essence of our mission is that, is to point people to Jesus. It's not our job to fix. It's not our job to save. It's not our job to, you know, tear down and try to build back up. I used it earlier, but the flirt to convert, that's a real thing, people. People do that. But it's not our job to convert or save people. It's our job just to talk about Jesus. And if they don't want to receive it, that's one of the things that we talked about. You know, Christians get this rap of, you know, pushing Jesus or religion or things down people's throats and it's like okay if you don't believe me then whatever I'm done with this no that's not what Jesus did Jesus deposited seeds and I love what you said it's more of a gardening rather than what was it rather than a salesperson 
don't that sound like so many Christians? It's like, do you believe in them? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. Well, let me tell you this. And they bring up another thing, and they don't believe it, or they don't want to, they're not, their heart isn't ready to receive. And they keep coming at them and keep coming at them. And it's like, no, that's not our job. That's not our job as Christians and as uh, children of God. It's simply to point to Jesus. And whenever their heart is ready, God will deal with their heart. And that takes the stress. It takes the burden of saying, well, I have to save lives today. No, take the cape off. Jesus has it under control. And the seeds that we deposit of love are well over good enough to take on whatever it is that they have. And please understand that I realize and God realizes that we are going to make mistakes. And that's for everybody in here. We all make mistakes and we all feel like we fall short at times. We all feel like we sinned at times. But this is the good news. God realizes that we're going to make mistakes. I've certainly had moments, you know, in the community here in Fort Worth and previously in Irving where I've gotten a little too chirpy with somebody out of outreach because, you know, they just crossed a line. I've, I've gone through moments, you know, where I've, you know, stepped a little bit too far. Maybe I crossed a line with a sense of humor because I joke a lot um, or careless thinking, you know. But thankfully, genuine humility, humility goes a long way with people in the community. Humility. It goes a long way with people in our workplaces. It goes a long way with people who even live under our roof, who you see every single day. Maybe somebody who you've crossed a line with for so many days out of the year. Humility goes a long way. Humility. It goes a long way with people under your own roof. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had to apologize to members of my own family, my wife included in that. Only six months of marriage. Come on, anybody who's married in here will know just in six months there can be a lot of apologies in that window, but it's okay. There will be more apologies in the future and necessary in that future because as much as I long to live a perfectly holy life, I'll fall short and I'll need grace. But that's the great thing about this gentle reminder that God has. And he reminds us every step of the way, that's not who you are. You're not defined by this mess up. You know, you're not defined by this fault. You're not defined by this flaw. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to walk you through this. But the humility aspect in it goes a long way in the, in the part that we played is just saying, I was wrong. I had the wrong answer but I know the answer now, and I can rely on the answer, and that's Jesus, to walk me through the situation. And when people see us in the ability to admit that we have faults too, get this, people see these things. The people who, are, who have humility and who say, I was wrong, that takes a lot, and it took me a lot. It took me maybe a month to admit to my wife, you know, I, I was wrong. I admit it, but... Again, it's a journey that we walk in. It's a journey that we're on with God. And when people see that we have the ability to admit ourselves make mistakes and take falls and we depend upon grace, we earn the authority to guide people. We earn the authority to walk them through crossroads of confrontation, not only situations, but get this, we gain the authority to walk them through their need for Jesus. 
we gain that authority because they see it. It's a human. <laughs> it's not this holier-than-thou judgmental person. It's a human, and they make mistakes. But the cool thing is they admit it. That's the cool thing about it. And in this story, Jesus obviously didn't have sin to admit. In this story particularly, he didn't have sin to admit as a whole, but he was still humble, breaking the cultural rules, like you just said, by engaging with this woman publicly and loving her and, you know, redemptive conversations that he had. It was encouraging. He reassured her that life was much more, infinitely more than what she was currently engulfed in. Her life was so much more. He reminded her. And then in that time, that was against, you know, protocol, if you will, in that time. And in the story isn't an isolated incident. This isn't just one story in the Bible that you can pull out and Jesus followed this, you know, to the T. But there's multiple stories and places in the Gospels that you can follow, or where Jesus followed this pattern of removing condemnation and engaging in conversation. And after earning the right to be heard, he introduces the confrontation. You can see it all throughout Scripture in the New Testament. Introducing people to the option of a new life, a new destiny, a new freedom, a new identity based on a relationship. Not a new religion, not a new set of rules, but a relationship with God through him. And if you're in this place and you felt wounded, I know that whenever I came into the gospel, I did. I felt wounded by people who were Christians, who were in the church, who were leaders, who were over me in that time. And I felt wounded whenever I came into this thing. Because Christians, you know, don't always um, do everything right. And that's okay. I was able to heal from this because I realized through the gospel that everybody is just people. Everybody is human. Everybody makes mistakes, and everybody doesn't always give the right answers. I was able to heal from this. We have perfect spirits, but imperfect minds. And our minds are constantly being renewed and being transformed daily to these facts that Jesus has instilled in us. And I speak on behalf of the church, the Capital C Church, today, we don't mean to come across hatefully, and I don't believe that that's the motive in it, but it's just, you know, their mindsets that they have of how they think that they're supposed to come across. But I'm speaking for them in this moment and hear the voice in my voice. This is Jesus. We don't mean to come across hatefully or disrespectfully or thoughtlessly, and my prayer is that you won't project it onto Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus' perception of you. It's not Jesus' way of thinking towards you. It's simply the imperfect children that, of Jesus and his followers. And this is because every single person that Jesus uses as a follower is imperfect, is human. And he's willing to accept all of it and all of us. And the truth is we're all in this together. The Bible says we're all born into this world in desperate need of being rescued from our self-destruction. And Jesus in, in the means is the means of that rescue. He was sent into the world to rescue. In John 3, 17, it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That was never his motive. It was never his mission. His mission was to never condemn us, but watch this, but to save the world through him. 
not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to give hope, to give a reminder. God has made a gift available, and his name is Jesus. But he won't force you to receive it because, again, he's a good father. A good father won't force you to take an action on it. He gives you a gift, and he says, this gift is for you. Whenever you want to open it and receive whatever in the gift, you can open it. But get this, you won't get the goodies of the gift until you receive it. The gift is there. He's given us the gift. You have the gift of Jesus. And whenever you're ready to receive it, you can. And it's almost like he's saying this, if you want it, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to give the gift because it's already given. The gift was given. You can't earn it. You simply must receive it by faith. That's the only action we have. We receive it. And I wonder whether there's someone within the sound of my voice today who would receive the gift of Christ. And at Calvary, I want to make it plain and simple. We are not a company of gathering Pharisees who are ready to point out your flaws whenever you mess up. We are a group of people who will encourage you in the truth, and that is that you are loved, you are accepted, you are on a journey, and God is going to walk you through it, and we are here to enforce it, and we are here to uplift you. We aren't here to put you down, but rather lift you back up into your called identity. That is what Calvary stands for. Religion puts us in the middle. That's what it did. It put you in the presence, in the middle, in the center of the attention, and it said perform, earn it live up to it. But Jesus, what Jesus did, and you can see it in this picture, is he took the attention off of the woman and he put it onto him. And just a thought, I don't think it was a coincidence that scripture didn't document exactly what Jesus wrote on the ground. He didn't document it. They didn't document it. And I think it's for a reason because it wasn't about what he wrote. It's about what he was doing. It wasn't about what he wrote in the ground. It wasn't a message. It was a picture for us to look at and see that Jesus wants to take the attention and he wants to take the fault and the picture of a mess up off of us and put it onto him. He took the attention off the woman's mistake because they were all in attention and looking at her ready to throw a stone. And he took the attention off and he wrote in the ground. And immediately he said those words, if you are without blame, then throw a stone. But if you aren't, then drop it. And what a picture of the gospel. Because Jesus took the attention off of us and off of our mistakes and off of our sin. And he said, I'm going to put the attention back on me. And I will take the full blame. I will take the full burden. Hello, cross. I will take you know, whatever it is, and deal with sin once and for all. On the cross, he said it's finished, not partially finished or to be continued or to be finished. He said it's finished. Jesus took the attention off of us and put it onto him. And what does that do for us? You're probably asking, like, what is, like how does that benefit me? It's because you no longer have to look for people's mistakes and say that defines them. Or you no longer have to look at yourself and see in the mirror your mistakes or your faults or anything that you've done wrong in your life, you can look in the mirror and just see Jesus because your, his spirit is living in and through us. We don't look and see mistakes. We can look and see perfection because Jesus accomplished it 
once and for all. And church, whether you've been hurt by condemnation or you've been the one condemning, today, focus on his finished work. Regardless of what place you're in, regardless if you had a place in what I just said, focus on his finished work today that he completed on our behalf. The work is done. The work is done and he fulfilled it. And we can know, we no longer have to look at the faults. We can look at a perfect picture of grace and it's Jesus. So church, if you will, I'd just like to pray and speak a blessing over you today as we conclude. So Jesus, thank you for this worship experience. Thank you for this time that we just get to gather together and be reminded that you have finished the work on our behalf, that we no longer have to live with this mentality of pointing out flaws in other, faults in other people or pointing out flaws in ourselves. We can see Jesus and only Jesus and move on onto the next stage in life. In the name of Jesus, amen.